The first reading from Genesis, the 50th chapter. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am, for, for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Well, as you probably can imagine, this is going to be a typical confessional Lutheran sermon. Just look at that title. Most of you are probably settling in for the same old thing that you hear here, hopefully, quite often. But actually, I want to do not only that, but there are two more things I really want to accomplish in this message. And the first is to impress upon your hearts that this business of repentance and forgiveness is the very heart of the Bible and of the Christian faith. It is the wellspring of faith. And sadly, it is the main message that is all so often forgotten in the American churches today. 
And the other thing I want to do, in addition to a basic message about repentance and forgiveness, is also to talk about how we can approach that in a healthy way. We all know it's easy to say you need to repent, you need to trust in God's forgiveness and all of that. But how can we grow? How can we learn, as the title of the sermon says, to forgive? So first of all, Peter's great question and Jesus' tremendous response, the parable of the unforgiving servant. We've all wondered what Peter was wondering about. What do you do with somebody who keeps hurting you, sinning against you, and they keep telling you, I'm sorry? Is there a limit? So Jesus' answer to this great question was a parable. And the parable, just to repeat it briefly, is about a, a man who owed a huge sum of money. If you translate the money in today's dollars, we're looking at 6 to $10 billion. And it came time to settle this debt, and he was unable to pay. He begged and pleaded uh, for more time to pay it back to his master. It looks like, however, he couldn't even come close to paying that debt back. And surprisingly, the master, this is typical of a lot of Jesus' parables, is like he does the most amazing thing in the world. He forgives all of that debt. Now, the guy turns around, and he has somebody who owes him a much smaller debt, which in our dollars today would be something like maybe $10,000. And he chokes the guy and, you know, demands that he pays everything back immediately. That guy also pleads for mercy. And some people hear about this. They report it back to the master who becomes very angry with this guy and he punishes him severely because he had been forgiven so much but he refused to forgive someone so little in comparison. The main point of the parable is really interesting because Jesus never actually mentions it, but we can all see what it is. The main point is we are to forgive others as God has forgiven us. Paul said in Acts chapter 13, through this man Jesus is preached to you forgiveness. Jesus states this important point negatively. He says that this man who would not forgive would be handed over, in the English Standard Version, it says the jailers. In the King James Version, it says the torturers. In the New International Version, it says to the jailers to be tortured. Uh, the word in Greek really does mean either jailer or torturers. It's definitely a bad thing. And here Jesus is teaching us something about the reality of hell. I don't like the idea of hell. I don't like the reality of hell. I don't want to think of anybody ever going there. But I realize Jesus talks about it, he teaches it, and the older I get, I also see how it is uh, a necessary reality. Because one of the things about people in hell is that they never repent and they never forgive. And this is the real outcome of evil and of rebellion against God. And so those who are locked in on that way of thinking and living their lives have to be separated from God, who is the God of mercy and love and forgiveness. 
Now, that's the basics of the message. Forgive as we have been forgiven, as the choir sang beautifully for us, and we sang together with them as well. But as I said, there were two other things I wanted to venture into here, and, and one is to realize that this has become a lost teaching in many, many American churches today. What happened? America went through two terrible world wars and a great depression. And during that time, statistically, you can track this, the Christian church in America became one of the largest institutions in the entire world. But when people no longer worried about being killed in a war or being hungry and starving to death, they lost interest in God, lost interest in the Bible, lost interest in going to church. You have this large institution of churches all over the United States, and they want to hang on to the people who are coming to worship, but were now not coming so eagerly and so readily. And so, beginning about 50 years ago, sermons began to veer away from the basics of sin and repentance and forgiveness. I challenge you to go and look at many sermons today. You'll be hard-pressed to find very many that even mention those words, let alone even talk about those concepts. What you will hear are sermons about commitment, improvement, relationships, growth, transformation, community, family, mission, balance, purpose. Those are ten very popular sermon topics today, and not a single one of them will address this very core teaching of the Bible. And the real problem and tragedy with all of this is that when you ignore that core, you will never accomplish what you're trying to accomplish in those ten different sermon topics. You are not going to get more commitment, or it won't be a real commitment, or real improvement, or real relationships, or real growth, or transformation, etc., etc. The tragedy of making this shift was because the preaching of sin and repentance and forgiveness just wasn't filling the pews, and it wasn't paying the bills. Churches who have stuck with this have endured and struggled and uh, did their best to make up for these losses nevertheless. And so I want to encourage all of you to continue doing just that. Don't let this trend affect you. This is a lost teaching that must be recovered. Now, the other thing I said I wanted to emphasize was that we need to learn to forgive. It's easy to talk about repentance. It's easy to talk about forgiveness. These are two vital things. They are both sides of the same coin. But notice that I put in the title, Learning to Forgive. We learn about things. We can improve in different areas of our life, and we can certainly stand for some improvement in this very core area of all of our lives. It's easy for me as a pastor to preach sin, repentance, and forgiveness, and to do so kind of mechanically. It is something I must struggle with myself. And we can all give our little sermons at home, husbands and wives and parents and children, 
And how many times have we not told each other, I told you I was sorry. This was Peter's concern. This is the problem of the charade of saying you're sorry but not really being sorry. The problem of husbands and wives who argue and bury the hatchet with the handle sticking up so they can go back and get a hold of it if they need to. This is a problem that Peter is wondering about and wondering if it could be solved by setting a limit, cutting forgiveness off seven times, to which, of course, Jesus famously says, no, just actually the opposite, Peter. I say to you seven times, 70 times seven. Well, what is Jesus really getting at there? Let me try to explain that, and hopefully this will help all of us in our learning to forgive. Look at the image that I put on the bulletin for this Sunday. It's the image of a sign, signpost on a road, two roads. One road is the road of sin. The other road is the road of forgiveness. It's a crossroad. Now, if you were standing there at that crossroad, you could look one way, you could look the other way. You would think about sin. You would think about forgiveness. But the one thing you might not think about which you could think about if you were a bird and you were flying over that crossroad and you would see there not just two roads, but you would also see there a cross. And that's really the key to this dilemma, as it so often is in the Bible when we come to paradoxes and mysteries and difficult things. We usually find a solution coming from the cross of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in amazingly important books. They are about a man who's on a journey. And on this, he's always walking. He's always going somewhere. And as he does, he tells stories. He teaches the Bible. He says a lot of hard things to people. Like, you need to forgive. You need to be holy. You need to love. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Packer told us you need to be like a child. We need to repent. We need to strive against our sins and temptations. We need to worship. We need to tithe. We need to suffer. We need to die for Christ. What if these Gospels all ended with Jesus suddenly going poof and ascending into heaven? That would make Jesus nothing more than another prophet who just came to tell us to do the holy things. That is the Muslim view of Jesus, and increasingly that's the American evangelical view of Jesus. He did tell us to do all these holy things, but not only did he tell us, he himself did them. And he also did one more thing that he never commanded any of us to do, and that is he has never commanded us to die for somebody else's sins. He told us to forgive, but he never told us we had to die for somebody else's sins. We are to keep the Ten Commandments. Jesus kept the Ten Commandments, but there was also for Jesus an eleventh commandment, you might say. The commandment from God his Father to give his life as a sacrifice for all the sins of the world. There is the cross. And there is the solution to Peter's paradox and ours. How often shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me and says he is sorry? 
We forgive as we have been forgiven in Christ. Jesus lived and he died and he rose again so that we could not only be forgiven ourselves, but thinking constantly about that great miracle, be ready, willing, and able to forgive others. We learn to forgive and we learn to repent by remembering Jesus and the cross in our hearts. Peter said this in his first letter. He, that is Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then he says that, right? So this is going to create something in us. That having died to sin ourselves, that's repentance, dying to sin. So the cross of Christ teaches us to repent. And also, the cross of Christ teaches us, as Peter says, that we might not only die to sin, but that we might live to righteousness. That's forgiving. That is loving God and our neighbor. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said the goodness of God, his incredible patience, his love, his sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is what leads you to repentance. So as we worship, as we read the Bible, as we keep thinking about that cross and the meaning of it and, and the, the reality of it, our forgiveness of sins, this is how we are always learning to forgive and living in a repentant and forgiving life. I'd like you to look at that window up there. This is an artist's version of the famous Luther seal. Luther wrote a letter to a friend of his in Nuremberg about his seal, and I'm going to read a, a brief summary of, of what he said. The first thing expressed in my seal is a cross, black, within the heart, to put me in mind that faith in Christ crucified saves us. Quote, for, the heart, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Now, although the cross is black, mortified, and intended to cause pain, yet it does not change the color of the heart. It does not destroy nature. It does not kill, but it keeps alive. For the just shall live by faith, by faith in the Savior. But this heart is fixed upon the center of a white rose to show that faith causes joy, consolation, and peace. The rose is white, not red, because white is the ideal color of all angels and blessed spirits. This rose, moreover, is fixed in a sky-covered, colored background to denote that such joy and faith in the Spirit is but an earnest and beginning of heavenly joy to come, as anticipated and held by hope, though not yet revealed. And around this background base is a golden ring to signify that such bliss in heaven is endless and more precious than all joys and treasures, since gold is the best and most precious metal. Christ, our dear Lord, He will give grace unto eternal life. Dear God, help us to keep Christ and the cross in our hearts and to grow in our repentance in our forgiveness, and in our faith. Amen. Please rise.